0: Welcome to the Show Me Institute podcast. I'm Zach Lawhorn from Show Me Opportunity. And today I'm joined by Patrick Ishmael, Susan Pennegrass and Elias Chappellis from Show Me Institute. Elias, it's the end of March, beginning of April, and we're still talking about the budget process in Jefferson City. There have been a couple news stories about it this week and last. Where are we at in the process and how long before we can move on and have a budget?
1: Well the process is going a little slower than usual. I think because there's just so much money to be spent. There's billions and billions of federal dollars on the table and so the House um so the House starts the budget process and this week they um the chair of the House Budget Committee put out his proposal and um on Thursday so today the uh the committee is going through all of the proposals and deciding you know, what they think should stay in. So this includes all of the projects um, from the federal stimulus funds that they think should be funded. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, you know, stuff about teachers raises. Um, there's money for a, a uh, rainy day fund. There's tons of, tons of stuff in there. The budget will be um, probably the highest, the most expensive ever in state history. And so we're looking at this week, wrapping things up uh, in the house, probably the House committee will be done today, um, Thursday, and then next week the House will vote it out and it'll go to the Senate. And uh, the budget has to be passed by the first week in May. So hopefully, hopefully there's plenty of time to get there.
0: So you mentioned teacher raises and there was part of the budget was a plan to raise minimum teacher pay in Missouri from 25000 to $38,000. Um, and it doesn't seem like that the budget committee is wild about that what are on both sides of the argument what what's the discussion like what's uh, what's the pros and cons of raising the floor for teacher salary
1: well well in my opinion the the way that the governor proposed going about this was uh generally pretty bad so what what we see here is the governor put in his recommended budget um money to raise the state uh, floor for teacher salary so currently There's a law that says teacher salaries must start at at least $25,000. That was passed in 2005. And so what the governor is doing is uh, put money in the budget to raise the minimum teacher salary to $38,000. And so what that means is uh, this is essentially one-time money to go to the schools across the state that have teachers making less than $38,000. So there's roughly 4,000-ish teachers that are making around that amount. And so this money would go to these schools um, and then contingent on them being willing to throw in basically 30% of, um, the state would pay 70% of the amount that it costs to get to 38000 The local schools would pay 30%. And assuming they do that, uh, the state would pay for it. And that's just for this year. But um, as the chair of the House Budget Committee said this week when he got rid of the governor's proposal to raise that floor, he said, you know, should teachers get paid more? Absolutely. But is this the way to do it? Probably not.
0: Susan, we've heard a lot recently with all the money that DESE getting. One of the uh, uh, areas they're focusing on is teacher recruitment and retention. And one of the things you're hearing from the pro side of this argument of raise the floor is that it's going to help with teacher recruitment and retention. What are your thoughts on uh, that?
2: I doubt that it has much impact on recruitment or retention going from, uh, you know, we have about less than 5% of the teachers in Missouri are in this pay range. And they're generally in very low-income communities where um, school budgets are, are, you know, stretched in a way that, that that's what they can afford to pay. And that's what um, teachers uh, are, are willing to take the job for in these poorer communities. And uh, I don't think that that is going to – so our, our teacher shortage per se, we have a shortage of teachers in, like, high school math and science. We don't have a shortage of K-1 and 2 teachers. It's not an across-the-board shortage. So this is a very dull, blunt instrument to try to um, address that problem. It's similar to raising minimum wage. It's like we raise the floor up for everybody, and we really just address um, the lower demand teaching jobs in the very low-income areas. And what it does, though, is it causes sort of, you know, teachers are paid on step and ladders. So it but you raise that floor, you have to raise everything above it. And so you have teachers probably making between 25000 and 38000 and then you got to move them up so that the new teachers don't make more than them. And it causes a ripple effect through the whole teacher salary system, which is locally determined and negotiated between locally between school boards and teachers. And for the state to step in and say, well, this one year, we'll give you uh, this difference so that everyone can bump it up, and then we're going to walk away will leave those lower income districts in a tough spot because then they're going to be left having to pay a higher step and ladder across the board forever. And it doesn't really address a teacher shortage problem. So I think that uh, there's lots of smart ideas around how to pay teachers better. And I, I mean, I'm just going to differ with you a little bit, Elias, to say, of course, we need to pay teachers more. Of course, we need to pay good teachers more. And of course, teachers who are not that great at that p- profession should probably find a different job. But yes, we need to find a way to pay good teachers more and in-demand teachers more. So teachers teaching hard to find subjects, everyone should get a market rate, right? So if you are a math major in college and you graduate with a degree in math and you want to teach high school math, you should be paid something that is a market rate for your skill set that you would get in another job that's non-teaching so we need to and there is a bill right now in the in the legislature to allow for differentiated pay but we need to better differentiate amongst teachers and we need to not work on this floor because that's a locally negotiated thing and we need to start opening up the profession to real professionals by paying great teachers a lot and encouraging teachers that find they're not that good at it to to find a different profession so this is a this is a misguided approach and I don't think it will impact recruitment or retention. And I don't think it will help the teaching profession across the state. And, um, and so I think that the speaker was right to, to uh, pause.
0: Yeah. And to your point, Susan, about some of the rural uh, districts, there's a quote in the post-dispatch story from a rep uh, from Moberly that said, I think some of the districts got heartburn when they saw this proposal and talking about the increased um, costs. And I think this directly, goes against something that we've been talking about a lot on this podcast and on the radio and on the blog, that with this influx of cash, people really need to focus and make sure that they're not starting programs or accruing costs that have uh that are gonna be um repeats in the future. They're not they're not one time costs, they're reoccurring costs. Yeah. Um, Imagine
2: you say to a small business owner, you know, uh who who pays starting employees ten dollars an hour. Well you have to start them at $15 an hour now. That's going to be minimum wage. But we'll pick up 70% of that difference the first year. You're just going to pay 30% of the $5 difference or $1.50. It's not going to really affect you. And then we're going to walk away and you're stuck paying $15 an hour. Like that, of course, hurts the districts that have negotiated that salary. And, um, you know, it really, you're you're exactly right. This is a one-time, if most districts have a pretty good influx of one-time cash from the federal stimulus programs, and that's fine. You could use it towards that, but that's going to end. And the state's going to walk away. And these uh, rural, small rural districts uh, with small budgets are going to be stuck. And in the end, they'll probably just have to have fewer teachers. And um, it's not going to address recruitment or retention.
0: So the chair of the budget committee said, ultimately, the General Assembly will prevail. We just need to sit down and think it through. Uh, Elias, you mentioned this a little, but are we coming to kind of a deadline here, like a hard deadline? They have to get this done seemingly before they can get this in in combination with the district maps, there are uh, seemingly more and more obstacles by the week that are being put up in Jefferson City that uh, we're on a ticking clock here. The session has a little over six weeks left. So um, what do you think the timeline is for for this getting done?
1: Well, this this issue specifically, I don't know how easy it's going to be uh, to resolve. You know, this is the minimum salary for teachers is established in statute. So this was something that they're talking about trying to basically fix a statutory problem with some one-time money in the budget, which just generally is not a very good idea, but the biggest task for the legislature this year is, you know, still spending this uh, federal relief money. And so the um, just the list of differences that the house budget committee had in comparison to the governor's recommended budget is almost 60 pages long so you have you have a lot of major decisions this is you know individual line items for how you know uh, remodeling project at the university of missouri columbia you know capital projects like that you know these are issues that are important to everyone's district and that's not to say that teacher um, raises aren't important but you're you're looking at a lot of very difficult decisions that have a lot of um, you know important impacts on these uh, legislators districts. And when it comes down to it, this teacher raise thing just isn't um, you know just isn't really a good way to go about it. And so hopefully, in my opinion, they don't spend as much time on it because uh, you're right, there just isn't enough time.
0: Patrick, it sounds like that there's going to need to be some urgency for the rest of the session after these things, if these things are resolved. So what do you think is going to happen to like the political capital that's going to be needed to get these things done before uh, the middle of May when the session ends?
3: Well, I I think there's going to have to be a lot of compromise, and it's mostly within, you know, the majority in the Senate itself. I mean, keep in mind, you know, the governor may have his own, like, budgetary priorities, but by and large, I think the legislature has kind of ignored everything that he has has kind of wanted uh, so far. So whether you're talking about raising teacher pay, uh, raising the, like, the minimum wage for for state workers – this is a problem where i think the senate is really the stumbling block and i think that it isn't necessarily you know left versus right it's like uh, you know the, um, the majority of the majority versus the minority of the majority and i the the big concern right now is you know we, we're in this redistricting process and as of this recording right now the house is going to have to vote yay or nay on the senate map and we don't know exactly where that's going to to stand after you know in the next couple hours but it's not just about redistricting i think there are a lot of hard feelings in the senate chamber and there are all sorts of things that are going by the wayside in the meantime whether you're talking about uh uh you know curriculum transparency tax reform all these priorities that uh, i think a lot of taxpayers were promised would be addressed in the coming legislative session a lot of it just simply hasn't been done uh, and hasn't gotten done. And it isn't an issue of, I don't think, a whole lot of like ideological uh, opposition. I think it's a lot of just personality conflict. Uh, and that personal conflict is maybe in part uh, between the governor's office and, and some folks in the in the legislature. But I think the, the biggest obstacle right now is the Senate. And the biggest obstacle is the, the tension between a, a supermajority uh, of the Senate that. They should be able to pass whatever they want. But, you know, unfortunately, they just haven't. And so I don't know. I don't know how that's going to get resolved. I think some people are going to have to probably get off their high horse, make some compromises. But um, when that happens or if that happens, I mean, we got six weeks to find out. um, I, I don't know that it gets done.
0: Elias, apparently the um, budget committee chair sent a note to members saying that they should be prepared to work some Thursdays and Fridays in April. As someone who has existed in Jefferson City before, what does that tell you about the current environment?
1: Well, you know it's going to be bad when they have to work on Thursdays. The legislature is trying to get out of town um, as early as possible, but, um, you know, so that might lower morale at least a little bit. But that also is just kind of an indication of how many difficult problems they still have left to solve. And the only real way to uh, do that is to make people work more. But it's not necessarily clear if that gets them closer to solutions, if that makes sense.
0: All right. So before we move on to the next topic, I want to do just a quick temperature check. We'll go around, go around, start with you, Susan. There are several bills that you're monitoring. Given the events of the last couple of weeks, are you optimistic, pessimistic, or the same on anything that you're watching getting passed before uh, the end of the session?
2: I'm afraid to be optimistic. I mean, I I was really um, optimistic because there are two school school choice related bills um, that are, are looking great. There's one, charter school funding in Missouri has been uh, weird since the bill passed in the late 90s, and charter school students are funded through their home district, and there's a bill to fix that. It puts kind of an artificial cap on the number of students who can attend a charter school. The bill to fix that has been through the full house, has been through the Senate committee and is awaiting Senate floor. I hope that gets done. There's another bill HB 1814 that has been through the full house and uh, through Senate committees. I think hopefully it'll be voted out today. And that would allow students to attend, to choose to attend a school in a district other than their home district. And it would allow people who own property in a in a different district than they live in to send their kids to school in that district but this is a really important thing for missouri to get on board with 43 states do some form of this and it really um we have one very narrow provision um, in rural areas that you physically live closer to a high school you can go to it if you prove it but this would really open up a lot of opportunities for missouri students And would allow um, districts to try to attract students by uh, having the best high school in the region or having a certain type of high school in the region, like agribusiness or uh, STEM. And it really could change the landscape, you know, uh, not to... Uh, put in a completely self-serving plug, but we have a new report on rural high schools in Missouri. And I will just tell you, spoiler alert, they struggle. They struggle with math and science and AP and these types of things. Not unexpectedly, they're very, very small across the board. They tend to be fewer than 300 students and they don't offer the full suite of stuff and they can't be everything to every student. This would allow specialization in that. And that again, will be stuck waiting for the full Senate. And then finally, in the supplemental budget that Elias was talking about, the governor has, uh, I applaud him for this, put in a provision uh, where something we've talked about a lot since the shutdown, money would go directly to parents to address learning loss. And it's called close-the-gap scholarships. And parents who qualify, it's for low-income families, could get up to $1,500 for tutoring, after-school, summer programs, any type of thing that could help their their child catch up. Many other states have done this with stimulus money. I think this is imperative that we get. Parents want tutoring right now. Parents know their kids are behind. Like I've been saying for years, Zach, we're in a crisis. And that crisis doesn't go away because the Senate can't get along. So we still have the crisis and families are still in crisis. They still need money for tutoring. They still need options beyond their assigned public school. And charter schools uh, still need to be funded correctly so that they can grow in Kansas City and St. Louis at least. And this all requires the Senate to get on board. So I like what they've got in front of them. I just really hope they get busy and do stuff for the um, the families in Missouri instead of their political you know um, careers. But I have good I have faith in people, and we still have six weeks, maybe five weeks, and I, I hope it happens.
0: And Patrick, how are you feeling about this stuff you're watching?
3: You know, I I started the session uh, very optimistic. I'd say I'm I'm still optimistic, maybe getting closer to neutral because there is a lot to be determined here. Uh, And, uh, you know, there have been so many filibusters so far. I mean, the journal has been filibustered. Bills have been filibustered, resolution. Everything's been been filibustered. So anything could just perish even uh, once it got to the floor. But there are two major pieces of legislation that I'm following. One is in the House, and what it would do is it would kind of clean up the Sunshine Law and uh, require uh, easier access to contact points at the local level. A lot of cities uh, don't have permanent Sunshine Law inboxes, essentially. You don't know who to contact if you have a question. The House bill would fix some of that. Uh, and, of course, uh, the you know both in the Senate and the House, there are uh, bills dealing with uh, the Missouri Parent's Bill of Rights, particularly one in the House uh, that would put it into the Constitution. So um, I, I think that both of those have a, a lot of support, and I think what might end up happening is, you know, um, you may have a bunch of omnibus bills where you have one bill that ends up having a bunch of things amended onto it all at the very end of the legislative session. But the risk, of course, with that is that. One senator could filibuster the whole thing and everything. You get a lot of stuff done all at once so long as, uh, you know, there is no filibuster. But if there's a filibuster, everything could instantly die. So the individual bills, I think, uh, you know, I'm very positive about and I think that if they got to the Senate and got like a straight up or down vote in the Senate, I think that they would. Uh, become law or they would go to voters and, and become part of the constitution. But I, I think that, you know, a, a, an increasing pro- probability at this point at, the, you know, this relatively late stage in the session is that a lot of the texts from those bills are just going to be amended on to whatever might be in front of the Senate that may tangentially have something to do with education. That happened yesterday where a bill dealing with um, uh, school school boards, like recalling school board members, uh, there are a number of senators that tried to amend on all sorts of like unrelated education legislation, but it wasn't like dealing with the underlying bill that was before the body. So I think there's going to be a lot more of that. I think that, you know, it's probably more likely than not that uh, if the legislation that I'm, I'm following is through, that it may be in the form of amendment onto some other piece of legislation. Um, but, you know. It, to me, if if that's how it gets approved, that's how it gets approved. That's it, it would be good policy for the state. Um, but um, you know, I'm 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 optimistic that it'll get approved. But you know, you never know with this uh, this particular composition of the Senate.
0: And the last, how's uh, how's your morale?
1: Well, uh, I think I'm a little less optimistic than Patrick here. My- Specifically the bills that I'm following uh they have gotten hearings, but I'm not too optimistic they're going to pass standalone um, as standalone bills through the Senate. but like Patrick said, I think they have a decent chance um, if the Senate goes the route of these omnibus bills um, but kind of like uh washington d c what you see when there's gridlock is that there's a lot of things that are going to be happening through the through the budget. And so there are a few interesting things there because you can't really filibuster the budget that has to get passed. And so there, uh, right now, there's still some discussions over a new rainy day fund, which I've talked about in the past of Missouri's rainy day funds, not very good. Um, there's a good amount of money for um, state IT upgrades. So hopefully the state could have better, um, you know, transparency measures, you know, easier to track what's going on there. And then uh, finally, there is additional money for as soon as the federal uh, state of emergency for uh, COVID ends, the state will begin the process of um, checking whether the people on Missouri's Medicaid program right now are still eligible to be receiving services. And the state Medicaid agency is having a pretty tough time keeping up with applications as they are now. So, administratively, they needed some additional money so that whenever they have to start looking at uh, Medicaid enrollees again, they'll be able to do that. And there's some money for that. So I'm uh, hopeful that those things make it through and that will be, um, you know, good changes for Missouri.
0: Yeah, it says the Office of Administration is in line for $89 million for a digital government transformation, which sounds much more menacing than I think they meant. Um, All right. So moving on to uh, the western part of the state, Patrick, there are two stories in Kansas City this week. One of them is uh, Facebook is getting, maybe getting, asking for uh, a lot of money from the Kansas City area and the state. What's going on?
3: So last year, uh, there was a data center project that came for uh, Kansas City Council and the Kansas City Council approved an $8.2 billion tax incentive for that project. It's a project that is uh, the, the group behind the project is a prominent engineering firm in the Kansas City area. Um, they are well connected with, uh, of course, the, the city council. Uh, but, you know, there are a lot of projects like this that get a ton of money. Um, it, it's just it is notable, though, that some of these players are related uh, uh, very much so to the council itself, they have a, a long history with a lot of the council members. But this $8.2 billion project is approved last year. And then this year, it didn't have a tenant before. And now we found out that the tenant is going to be meta, which is really Facebook. Uh, And uh, they're going to build uh, uh, $800 million worth of facilities to house all of these uh, uh, data uh, uh, hardware. Uh, And uh, the the, the killer point though, is that they're gonna employ a total of 100 permanent employees. And for, for folks who are unfamiliar with the world of like data centers and tax incentives going to data centers, Uh, It it might be a little shocking that these sorts of tax credit packages oftentimes on a per job basis cost about a million dollars a job. Um, And you, you, you have all of this you know, uh, infrastructure that's built up around these facilities, but you don't have necessarily many human beings that actually manage them. And a lot of times with tax incentives, what we're told is, you know, this is good for the economy. This will employ a lot of people. And certainly to the extent that you're going to be building things, you're going to have construction jobs, at least for the, the, you know, that period of the project. But this is a facility that is about 750 acres uh, in total, about half of it right now. Maybe the, the whole thing eventually will be occupied by Facebook. But right now, 375 acres and 100 employees, that is a lot of land and a lot of money with not a lot of people uh, working for for the company. And I think that that is, uh, it, it, it's, of course, troubling uh, when you're spending that kind of money. Uh, and I, But it's indicative of a larger problem in the state and, and across the country, too. When you have a, a government culture that tries to pick winners and losers in the tax code, this is the kind of thing that happens. And this is mainly just local tax incentives that we're talking about, this $8.2 billion, the state is going to be contributing uh, some money as well, particularly to the construction. End of it. Uh I, I believe that they, they won't be charging a, or they'll be waiving like a sales tax for construction materials for the construction of these buildings. And they may be offering other incentives as well that we're just not aware of yet.
1: Patrick, you brought up a really good point about just how dubious these programs are, at least from the state level, because, you know, in Kansas City, you had... You know the the mayor and the council, you know, approving these incentives. You know whether they're, um, you know, they seem they seem pretty bad eight billion dollars or whatever. But at the state level, this was a program that was the this um, project's going to be utilizing a program that was you know made over a decade ago, and then you know the governor and his staff at the Department of Economic Development can approve um, can approve this project to you know, exempt them from sales taxes for up to a decade. The one estimate I saw was that this could cost state taxpayers over $1.4 billion over a decade. And this, this is nothing that, uh, you know, anyone voted on. This is just passed, you know, by essentially a bureaucrat at the Department of Economic Development. So there should be, at least in my opinion, there needs to be some level of, you know, if our elected officials don't have to vote on whether, um, you know, these economic development incentives are given out there should at least be some level of saying how much money these things can get. I mean, the idea that over $1.4 billion is just given away without any amount of oversight is just crazy because the program was on the books already.
0: And do we know anything about if we were competing with anyone? I mean, during the Amazon warehouse, the HQ2 thing uh, a few years ago, there were a bunch of different cities competing with each other. Were we just bidding against ourselves or were there other cities involved in this?
3: Well, I think that's a more complicated question because I think, I mean, you can locate data centers, you know, more or less any place where you have land and and you have appropriate infrastructure for it. But uh, according to the reports that were coming out in the last couple of days, what it sounds like is that Facebook had been exploring opening up a data center in the Kansas City area for at least five years. And uh, maybe they were just looking for the right site, the the right tax incentive uh, combination uh, you know, looking at all the different factors that go into it. But, you know, I, I mean, there are a lot of data centers in the state. Uh, there's a, I mean, and, and there there are a lot of reasons for that. We tax incentivize them, of course. But we also have underground facilities that are very conducive to those sorts of projects as well. But, um, yeah, Facebook, I'm sure, you know, they certainly have data centers across the country. Um, but as far as Kansas City is concerned, they had been looking at Kansas City, um anyway for a number of years prior to you know the, the introduction of this project last year um and uh whether whether the tax incentive itself could put this particular project over the top or whether uh, uh facebook would have come here anyway or come here in a different way we we don't really know we don't we don't know what the alternate future would have been but um i i think that when you can uh, get corporations conditioned to Expecting tax incentives, then if you don't offer the tax incentives, I think that that may impact uh, you know their 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 decision. And so we, we don't know for sure, but I think that you know it's, it's a problem that is nationwide. It's certainly a, a problem that is uh, regional as well, where we're you know trading businesses across the state line. Uh, and uh, but the, the the core issue, though, I think is that. When corporations expect this kind of money, uh, politicians become more and more interested in providing it. And at some point, politicians just have to say, no, we have the facilities that you want. We have the infrastructure. Our geographical location is terrific. You should come here anyway. And if you don't, that's fine. Uh, We have other uh, uh, taxpayers here and other companies that are willing to invest here. You should come here anyway. But you know what? We're not going to give away the bank for it.
0: And speaking of giving away the bank, our final topic. So last week, the City of Buffalo and their NFL franchise, the Bills, looks like they've come to an agreement on a new stadium. And the City of Buffalo is going to pay around $800 million worth of the bill. And I guess that gave the chiefs an idea. Um, it sounds like they're making some noises about wanting to maybe move their operations and they're saying some things that they would be open to maybe talking about moving from the Missouri side of the border to the Kansas side of the border. Um, Patrick, what's going on uh, with Arrowhead?
3: Yeah. So the, the president of the chiefs uh, in the last couple of days brought up the idea of, uh, the team moving from their current home at the Truman sports complex in Kansas City, Missouri, to some location in Kansas, and I think there's this isn't the first time that the region has talked about this possibility. I think that the the most probable location if the Chiefs move to Kansas is the Legends. And for those unfamiliar with the Kansas City area, there's Kansas City, Missouri, and there's Kansas City, Kansas. And in Kansas City, Kansas, you have Kansas Speedway, you have a Sporting Kansas City Stadium, all in the same place. The expectation is that if the Chiefs moved, it would be into that area, which is 15 minutes west of downtown. The current stadium is 15 minutes east of downtown. And so you, you look at, you know, for the region, it, it wouldn't change a great deal uh, for most fans. I mean, the, the, the potential new stadium would also probably be off of I 70, just like the current stadium is. But I think that for uh, politicians and, you know, city, city boosters in Kansas City, Missouri, it is a concern the idea of, of the, the Chiefs moving at all because they are the Kansas City Chiefs. They have been at Arrowhead for fifty years, five zero years. It is, I believe, the third oldest stadium in uh, in the NFL right now, uh, behind Lambeau Field and Soldier Field. And so, um, it, I don't think that there's any question about the age of Arrowhead, and that it may need some improvement. The question is whether or not it's worth uh improving at this point or if that's even what the the chiefs won it sounds like the chiefs won a completely new stadium and um you know as a traditionalist i would love you know arrowhead to be the home of the chiefs forever i was i was broken up when uh you know the yankees tore down the house that ruth built uh that was built in 1923 and then they just like replaced it with something new it's almost something um uh uh just, there's just something terrible about like that idea to me. But at the same time, you know, if, if you're going to uh, as a city start trying to say, well, where are we going to spend our money? You know, first and foremost, cities shouldn't be in the business of owning stadiums anyway. Uh, and but Kansas City is in an interesting position now because. It's not just the Chiefs that are talking about getting a new stadium. It's also the Royals that are talking about getting a new stadium. The Royals want a stadium in downtown Kansas City, Missouri, supposedly, which means that it's possible that within the next decade, if the, the city really wanted to build two new stadiums, um, they would be on the hook for you know billions and billions of dollars uh, pretty darn quick. And so to me, I, I think the Chiefs should build their own stadium, like with their own private money. But from the perspective of state policy in, you know, in, in, the, in the Kansas City region in particular, I, I have less of a problem with the Chiefs just like moving to another side of the city, especially if that ends up saving the city and the state some serious dough. Um, and and if I, I, I would oppose you know us building a stadium for the Royals, but if the city is going to, to start building stadiums again, um, they may have to make a choice at some point. You, eventually, you run out of other people's money. And so in um, whatever whatever uh, location that the Chiefs would end up in in Kansas, you can rest assured that Kansas is going to spend billions of dollars, billions of dollars building that stadium and trying to build out, you know, the area around that stadium as well. So, I mean, that's, it, it, it isn't the Chiefs' fault that this is the environment, that, like the tax and spend, tax incentive environment. Uh, that they're in, and as a private company it's it's not their fault uh or you know it's 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 all power to them to try to get as much money from you know uh you know politicians as, as they like politicians shouldn't give it to them, but this is what happens is that you end up finding yourself in a bidding war if you assent to it
0: well as someone's uh whose hometown. NFL team was the Rams. Uh, yeah, moving west is all just a matter of how many thousands of miles. So if it's just a few miles across uh, state border, then I guess that's not so bad all things considered. Elias, what uh, are you keeping tabs on next week? Uh, well,
1: uh, we already talked about it, but it's going to be budget budget budget. And the the house should be um, finishing their committee work, going to the House floor, and then the Senate hopefully could start could start their process. There's a lot of decisions need to be made and until the budget gets resolved, I don't know if too many other things are going to be, uh, you know, getting the time they need.
0: Susan.
2: So I'll be looking to see if HB 1814 passed out of the committee yesterday, if it gets voted on today, if the um, Close the Gap scholarships stay in the supplemental budget and whether the Senate uh, takes the time to take up uh, HB 1522 to fix the charter school funding.
3: And Patrick. Uh, Still tracking legislation. Again, uh, the Missouri Parents' Bill of Rights is an enormously uh, important piece of legislation that I hope gets passed in some form or fashion. It it certainly is something that uh, there's a lot of interest in in the legislature right now. But again, with all the gridlock, you you never really know. And of course, following all the new now tax incentive news uh, from the Kansas City area, uh, when you're talking about billions of dollars, it's such a big number that I think people have a hard time, uh, you know, conceiving of what that really means. But I mean, this is money that could be going towards schools. It could be going toward roads. And so whether you're talking about uh, Meta or Facebook or whether you're talking about the chiefs and whatever potential incentive package that might be in development, uh, I will be looking into that and tracking that uh, as news arises from it.
0: All right. As always, thank you for listening. And there's plenty more at showmeinstitute.org and check out moschoolrankings.org. Every school in Missouri ranked and new data coming soon. Patrick, Elias and Susan, thank you very much.